Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Friday afternoon, the 17th of February, we're going to go through some listener email in the Issues Etc. comment line. Our email address is talkback at issuesetc.org and our comment line 618-223-8382. Let's begin with Deborah. She writes, Hi, Jeff and Todd. I tried to listen to this episode on the fivefold crisis for Western civilization with Dr. Spencer Clavin. With an open mind. However, as I listened to Dr. Clavin talk about the important traditions that we inherit, I couldn't help but wonder if he considers his marriage to another man traditional. Honestly, it is ironic to have this particular man on your show to discuss crisis for Western civilization when his very lifestyle qualifies as a world crisis. What's next? Joel Osteen to discuss concupiscence? That was a, that was a great sentence. <laughs> Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening, Deborah. Well, we were not aware that uh, that uh, Dr. Clavin was a uh, gay man, much less in a gay marriage. We were not aware of that when we booked him for the program. What's the publisher there? Was that Regnery? Is that correct? Regnery, yes. Re- Regnery. We were not aware of that. In retrospect, had we been aware of that, we should have asked him a pointed question about how his uh, advocacy for same-sex marriage fits into the, the Western traditions and see if he had a, a decent answer. Now, more generally speaking, even in retrospect, I think Christians do need to kind of make up their minds whether or not in the left-hand kingdom we're going to accept allies and friends in the left-hand kingdom, in the civil realm, like Spencer Clavin, like Andrew Sullivan, again, a conservative gay man, or we might say classically liberal gay man who's a regular critic of the woke left, or Barry Weiss, or David Rubin. Again, I think David Rubin also is in a same-sex marriage too. So are we going to accept their alliance where we can find common cause and where they can speak maybe with a more credible voice to a pagan world than Christians can? Or are we going to, again, in the, the art of politics, it's the art of the possible, are we going to allow the perfect, which would be preferable, to become the enemy of the good? Because in the, in the left-hand kingdom, it is always a series of compromises. We do not compromise our views or our beliefs or our teachings about homosexuality, human sexuality. But in the left-hand kingdom, where you have to cooperate to get things done and to communicate a message or to fight against these toxic movements, are we going to accept allies like the Andrew Sullivans, the Barry Weisses, the Spencer Clavins, or the David Rubens. Or even unbelieving allies like Jordan Peterson, who to my knowledge may be Christianity adjacent, but he, I, to my knowledge he's not a Christian either. He's, I believe, he's at the very best maybe a theist or maybe a deist. 
He may, in fact, be an agnostic. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, so what you're saying is Christians have to decide in the left-hand kingdom whether we're going to join forces with these people like on a common cause like cancel culture. Yeah. and it, do, we want, do, do we want to work with people who want to a, a free marketplace of ideas where the playing field is level and even? For and Christian, Christians can disagree. I'm right. not, we don't have a thus saith the Lord on this. But do you want to work with those people? Do we believe that if the playing field is level— and maybe you might think that's idealistic. It's never going to be that way again. That's that's fine. But if the playing field is level, we believe that God's word will win the day. That we do have the best ideas because it's not they're not our ideas. Right. And so we're always going to. There's never going to be a perfect solution. A perfect solution in the in the left hand kingdom. That's idolatry. To say we could somehow affect a perfect solution or have perfect political alliances. That's idolatry. We have to get things done together as a people. So in that sense, we would not have Spencer Clavin or Barry Weiss to come on and talk about the virtues of the homosexual lifestyle. We would not do that. But if they are willing to join in the criticism of woke culture or whatever it may be and add a little voice of reason there, then I think we're happy to accept the help. But I should have done due diligence. I should have known that or somehow Google search, because once I got this email, I Google search, wow, he, he really is. So I apologize for that. Not that we wouldn't have scheduled Spencer Clavin, but that we would have asked him the question, how do you reconcile truth in Western civilization and homosexual marriage? One simple question would be, you, you're a strong advocate for the traditions of Western civilization and same-sex marriage, is a genuine innovation in Western civilization. Never institutionalized before. Obergefell institutionalized it. How do you square those two views? Let's move on to Mark. He said, I would like to comment on the program about St. Valentine with your guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. I am simply a layman, but I think the information from the program may have confused some listeners. Our current Lutheran hymnal, Lutheran service book, commemorates February 14th as St. Valentine's Day. And on page 1209 of the Treasury of Daily Prayer, it states who this guy was. Based on this information from our synod, it appears that the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has reclaimed St. Valentine's commemoration. And I would respectfully disagree with some of the assertions made in the program. Perhaps a better explanation would be that traditions involving St. Valentine can neither be objectively proven or disproven. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the feedback, Mark. Well, we were actually talking about St. Valentine because we were observing St. Valentine's. We were doing exactly what the Lutherans have done in, in, the, in the proper sense. I don't think you will find Dr. Weinrich among the most, the most talented and the most well-read historians of ancient Christianity that there are. He has peers, but he stands among a little taller among his peers in that respect. So that's the reason we have him on. We have had, let's see. His colleague, Dr. Busher, yeah. Concordia Theological Seminary, Pastor Will Whedon, who's a patristics scholar, Dr. Joel Lowski from Concordia Seminary, also a patristic scholar at Concordia Seminary. He's discussed St. Valentine. So we've discussed him, and they've all said the same thing. We don't know anything about St. Valentine other than his name and the manner or the fact that he died a martyr. We're not even sure if he's one guy or three guys that are, have just been conflated in history. And everything that we have about him is 
you know, several hundred years after his actual martyrdom. So we just don't know enough about the guy to say anything. And he was just being an honest historian. Now, can we talk about legends that grew up alongside or stories or hagiographies that grew up alongside the history of St. Valentine? Yes, we can. But we, he's trying to be honest and say, of the man himself, in terms of historical evidence, he certainly lived, he was certainly martyred under Claudius II, but that's about all we can know about him. There was certainly no romanticism in Dr. Weinrich's biography. No. <laughs> and I think maybe when we ended, you know, I, I had asked that question, can we redeem St. Valentine's? And he said, well, I don't know what there is to redeem because we don't know anything about him. He wasn't saying we shouldn't remember him. We certainly should. He's a martyr. We should give thanks for him and remember his model of faith and his example. But in terms of kind of somehow getting the story of his life, he, that is lost to history. Let's respond to Joe. He writes, Chris Roseborough made a point that Christians cannot be demon-possessed. The renowned theologian Kirk Cook, or Coke, who studied demon possession extensively, believes Christians can be possessed. He agrees with Roseborough's explanation theoretically, but says in his experience, genuine Christians can be possessed, and his only explanation would be that the possession in these very rare circumstances is a form of extreme temptation. His case example was a new Filipino Christian whose mother was a spiritist. I've heard anecdotal stories as well where a person who was possessed would attend church and even receive communion throughout the period of her exorcism sessions. This is an accepted point in the Malagasy Lutheran Church. So while this is not possession in the false prophet sense, there are faithful non-charismatic pastors who have experienced this and they struggle to reason with it. It's just so rare, but generally Roseboro is right. And he concludes, Dr. Robert Bennett acknowledges this in his book, I Am Not Afraid. Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening, Joe. So I think the most we can say there is that as, as a general rule, we need to maintain that Christians who are possessed by the Holy Spirit cannot at the same time be possessed by a demon. I think as a general rule. Are there incidences, and here we are into the area of anecdote, are there incidences that we cannot explain according to that general rule or easily explain? Yes. But to say we're going to toss the rule out and say, as did the individual we're examining with Pastor Chris Rosebro, the, his teaching, well, Christians can be possessed by, by the devil. They can be oppressed or they can have a demon. I don't see the distinction between being possessed and having a demon. So when, when, the, when Jesus' opponents accuse him of having a demon, they're accusing him of being possessed and controlled by a demon. But I think the general rule needs to stand that one cannot be possessed by the Holy Spirit and an evil spirit at the same time. There are, there are incidences that we cannot easily explain according to that rule, but we don't overturn the rule because we find apparent exceptions that we can't explain. Let's go to Michigan, where Ken resides. I'm not Professor James Carey. Nevertheless, I wish to ask Mr. Terry Mattingly, would Rush Limbaugh have happened if not for the FCC repeal of the Fairness Doctrine in 1987? Also, is there any chance Mr. Mattingly can elaborate on his accusation that Elon Musk is an evil libertarian? Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening in Michigan. Ken. I'd suggest going back and listening again to the conversation with Terry because he was not saying that he believed that Elon Musk was an evil libertarian. He was saying that illiberal journalists regard Elon Musk as an evil libertarian. 
So uh, I'm, I want to correct that. As to the question of whether or not Rush Limbaugh would, could have happened without the FCC's polling of the Fairness Doctrine, which was essentially an equal time doctrine. If you broadcast on the publicly owned airwaves and you stated a political political support for something, the stations that babysit those airwaves had to provide equal time, the Fairness Doctrine. That was, was that done away under Ronald, yes, Ronald yes. Reagan? And yes, it opened up not only the door for guys like Rush Limbaugh, because now his station did not have to provide equal time. They didn't have to bring someone in to do counterpoint to him, although they could have if they wanted to. And I think it did open the door there. It also opened the door for CNN and MSNBC. Basically, they this is their bread and butter now. They now openly advocate political positions and support political candidates. And they are not obligated to provide any equal time just because they happen to be using the public airwaves. You said publicly owned, publicly regulated. The, the TV and radio stations weren't publicly owned. No, no, no. The, the airwaves are publicly owned. Yeah. Okay, the actual, yes, the actual, yes. the actual frequencies. I, I should right. say, are owned by the U.S. government, and they allow the stations, television stations, radio stations, to use them. They license them to use them. But it, under the fairness doctrine, if you had that license, you had to provide both sides when it came to electoral politics and those kinds of things. There's no utopia day in journalism. There was pure journalism. But I do think what has exacerbated the downward spiral of American journalism is 24-7 cable TV news because now you have to fill airtime and you can't fill with just who, what, where, when, why, and how. Just ask those questions like, first of all, are they even answering all of them in an interview, are they giving you who, what, where, when, why, and how, or is it just the why? They jump straight to the, the why. Well, sometimes even past the why. Just So you're right. When you have 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to fill, it's much easier to bring on people who will just talk about what they think rather than what the stories are actually. About. So when I was at journal, journalism school, University of Missouri, Columbia, I was working in TV. The 92nd was a story package. Think of how much less damage you can do in 90 seconds than you can with 24 hours. Just think about that. There was a reason why radio and television stations, well, not, not so much radio stations, sometimes they stayed on 24-7, but television stations, for those of you who are old enough to remember, when the station signed off, do you remember? The American flag is waving on the screen and the national anthem is playing, and then when it's done, it goes to the color bars for the rest of the night, or to static for the rest of the night. And then if you're like me, little Todd Wilkin, waking up at 5 o'clock every morning, my, by the way, my dad was already up by that time, reading the newspaper, laying on the floor in the living room and turning on the only thing that was on. When I got up at five o'clock, it was color bars. And then right at five o'clock, it would be the farm report. And I was so bored, I would watch the farm report at five o'clock in the morning just to be have something to watch. So why did they sign off? Why? They didn't have to sign off. They could have stayed on 24-7. There wasn't enough content to stay on even with reruns, there wasn't enough content. You're talking about entertainment, entertainment, news. entertainment, and news. There wasn't enough. But think about it. you had you had your local news in a big city would be 
5, 6, and 10 p.m., right? Or maybe it's 11 in Eastern time zone. But smaller markets, maybe just 10 o'clock news for a half hour. Right. And maybe six, half an hour. So the most you're going to get in a big market of local news is 90 minutes in 24 hours, right? And now it's 24 and hours. And now it's 24 7. And you have to fill. And what are you going to fill with? Speculation, political opinions, political commentary, political analysis. And there are people critical of Terry Mattingly. His best analogy is it's not that we're just not, we, we, it's like we have the newspaper in front of us from 1954. And we go straight to the op-ed section. We don't read anything in it. And then we just read the op-ed people on the right side of the page or the left side of the page. That's where we are nowadays. Yeah, we're not really great consumers of information. We need to, especially as Christians, we need to be better consumers of information because the truth is in there someplace. It's not always easy to find. We'll be right back. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the president and vice presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. What is mental health? The February issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up this question of mental health with contributions from the LCMS Task Force on Mental Health, which is tasked with providing resources for Lutheran church workers to better care for their own mental health and those entrusted to their care. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal J. Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at M-E-L-H-S dot org, J. Krause at M-E-L-H-S dot org. Your Aunt Mabel's church banners are from the 60s. They were quite something in the day, especially the psychedelic bell-bottoms. But now the colours have faded, the tassels fell off years ago, and the hand-stitched letters are skew. Come on over to adcrucem.com and see our beautiful, theologically correct, Christ-focused church banners. We can customise size and colour to meet your church's requirements. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Welcome 
Product Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's listener email. The email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. And the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Four months from this very moment. You know what's going to be happening? Four months. Oh, we're going to be in the second hour of a live broadcast at Concordia University, Chicago. No. No? So the, it's it's June 17th. Today's February 17th. Oh, we'll be in the second I'm day? I'm going by numbers. Oh, I was going by days of the week. Yes. We will be our last speaker, Pastor Peter Bender, making a case for a dying man's consolation. We'll be wrapping up and we'll be heading to dinner on the campus of Concordia University of Chicago. At the uh, upcoming 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Yes, indeed. It's a, your opportunity to meet journalist Mark and Molly Hemingway. We're always glad to have Pastor Matt Harrison, president of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I don't know if you know this, but he's he's up for re-election. Did you know that? I was aware of that. Someone uh, made me aware of that several days ago. Yes. I, I heard Bill a- Barr endorsed him. Wow. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'd really I'm like to meet Bill Barr sometime. <laughs> Sounds like a, I don't know. I don't know if, I, can we really trust him? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, But anyway, President Harrison's going to be there, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordillon. Did I pronounce that right? I've been pronouncing it Salvatore Cordillon. And I know that when we meet the good Archbishop, he's going to correct me on that. We're doing our best. And Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee. And of course, our own Pastor Will Whedon, the word of the Lord endures forever. Attendance is limited at 500. We already, in one less than a month, have surpassed 200 paid registrants. So register soon at issuesetc.org or give Deaconess Lynn Fredrickson a call, 618-223-8385. The 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Let's uh, talk with uh, David in California. Hi, David. Hey, guys. I just wanted to call in and say thanks for having the large catechism guy on last week and his response to everybody's criticisms and praise and comments this week, because I didn't even know that there was a new adult large catechism being issued. All right. Well, uh, we're happy to make you aware of it. Dave, thank you very much for the call. and Thanks for listening in California. Yeah, we had, a, a, I think, a fruitful conversation with Dr. Jordan Cooper last week reviewing the catechism, and then this week, in fact, yesterday, go, dealing with some of our listeners' questions and comments on our review of the catechism. We weren't reviewing the catechism itself. We were reviewing the essays and annotations that attend the catechism in this new edition. There's a new large catechism out? There is. I didn't know that. <laughs> what Wonder of wonders. Bill Barr spoke at a Making the Case conference. Matt Harrison's running for re-election at Lutheran Church, Missouri. You learn something and there's new a every new day. large catechism. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if Bill Barr has the new catechism. <laughs> yeah. We should send it to yeah, him. We should. We should We should have Archbishop Salvatore, however you pronounce his last name, we should give him a copy. I remember when uh, Brian Wolfmiller at our Houston conference gave Rod Dreher a copy of the Book of Concord. Yeah. So there you go. We should just give a copy of the Book of Concord to all of our Roman Catholic Speakers at conferences. Speaking of Matt Harrison running for president of Lutheran Church, Missouri, he said, Gerald is not happy with you, Todd, because you have, and we have publicly proclaimed our support for President Harrison. 
a regular guest and listener of this show. But Gerald says, politics in the church, shame on you, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Three. Well, here's my standard response to those who say that somehow Christians get their hands dirty when they engage in politics in the church. If we were, say, the papacy, and we had bishops, and, and we had a hierarchy where, where, the, where the congregations and the laity really don't have any voice in who is going to lead their church. There's no room for politics in the church. You might say, well, okay, then you shouldn't politic because you have a different set. These decisions are made by other people. But you know, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we do things like hold district conventions where we actually vote on things. We actually vote for individuals. We cast votes. It's politics. And it doesn't dirty the hands of the church to simply use the democratic process to decide who will be our leaders or what direction we will go as a church body. We even hold a national convention where we vote on all kinds of things. They've got their little voting machines in front of them. They vote yes or they vote no. They vote their conscience. So we have a political process. And to engage in that, that's how we make decisions as the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, these large denominational decisions. We have this process. We have a constitution of bylaws. We follow those constitution, that constitution and those bylaws in order to make decisions together as a church body. There's a whole political process. So to say politics in the church somehow is evil or sullies the hands of Christians. And I've held, held this position now my entire pastoral ministry. And that is, if I believe that Pastor Matt Harrison is the best man to be uh, elected synodical president, given our process, there's nothing in our bylaws and constitution, and there's certainly nothing in scripture saying I can't publicly say that. You know what is wicked is decrying politics in the church and then doing it behind closed doors. We're just doing it. Exactly. We're just doing it. Don't think the Lutheran left doesn't do sure. politics. So I think politics in the church is actually a good thing when it's done according to our constitution and bylaws and when we are all have our cards on the table so that everybody knows where everybody stands. You don't have to secretly advocate for something. We don't need smoke-filled rooms. We just... And that's why I have consistently, since 2009, when, was it 2009 when Pastor Matt Harrison began running, or he kind of publicly became a, no, he's running, because there's, there's nothing wrong with running. I have publicly endorsed him every triennium. I've done it. I put my name on it. You know it's me. I make absolutely no apologies for it. I think it's good, honest dealings. It's transparency. Right. We have this kind of transparency in our public politics, and we should have this kind of transparency in our church politics. And if we if we don't, if you don't like the fact that you can have candidates, endorse candidates, and actually vote for them, or maybe even encourage other people to nominate them and vote them, then change the system. And speaking of that, February 28th is the deadline for your Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate congregation to send in candidates for president and vice presidents of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Find out everything you need to know at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations, issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. And surprise, surprise, 
you'll find a list of candidates. <laughs> Look, there's something that is equally insidious, and that is saying that somehow our somehow these things just happen by the machinations of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture are we promised that synodical presidents will somehow just emerge from a spirit-filled huddle or something like that. No, we're, we're left in complete Christian freedom, and we don't have to attribute these things to the Holy Spirit. That's why I refuse to say that Pastor Matt Harrison is called to be, he may have a paper, I don't know, he is called to be the president. No, he was elected, and that's not a bad thing. But let's not say, we're just going to let the Holy Spirit decide these things. You could stand around at the, on the convention floor waiting for the Holy Spirit to elect you a president. It ain't going to happen. That's called disorder. And I think someplace somebody said, our God is not a God of confusion, but a God of order. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University about mental illness in the Lutheran congregation. Abide with me, crown him with many crowns, hark the herald angels sing. Have you ever wondered why our beloved hymns were written? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February is Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. This new resource includes background on 50 hymns, Eternal Anthems, the story behind your favorite hymns, Volume 2. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. Memoria Press award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next purchase by using the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. We're churchmen, not company men. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Gieschen. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry, It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu 
or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.